0: Charitable Chit Chat with Kathy and Claire, the Essential Radio Show for Philanthropy Professionals with Kathy Sheffield and Claire Meyerhoff. Welcome to Charitable Chit Chat with Kathy and Claire. I'm Claire Meyerhoff. And I'm Kathy Sheffield. And as Kathy and I like to say, Charitable Chit Chat is much more than a podcast. We're your friends and planned giving and my partner in podcasting, Kathy Sheffield. She's a very experienced plan giving specialist and I'm a marketing and communications person. I specialize in plan giving outreach. And as your friends in plan giving, we love to introduce you to our friends in plan giving. And in this episode of Charitable Chit Chat, we introduce you to a good friend of Kathy's. She's Alex Broby, Senior Director,
1: Gift Planning, Northwell Health Foundation in New York. Claire, I had the opportunity to meet Alex several years ago when we both joined the National Association of Charitable Gift Planners Board of Directors the same year. Alex is one of the smartest people I've ever met. In addition to that, she's super funny and very compassionate. Yeah, we have that great interview with Alex coming up. She gives us a wonderful perspective
0: on healthcare philanthropy. Uh, Northwell is the largest healthcare provider in the state of New York and actually the biggest private employer in the state of New York. And during the whole COVID-19 pandemic, Northwell Health has really been at, at the center of that. We talk about donors and what they're interested in right now when it comes to philanthropy and especially in the area of mental
1: health, Kathy. I was really excited to hear Alex share that there has been a spike in interest regarding mental health as it is one of the most underfunded areas of healthcare and it is one of the least philanthropically attractive areas for organizations to promote funding for. It's just that little dirty secret that people don't want to talk about. What Alex talked about regarding the veterans and the veterans who are supporting these programs have really been... Um, beneficial for the overall community, and a lot of it is just stemmed from the promotion of the post-traumatic stress disorders that many of the veterans were experiencing when they came back from Iraq. So that's a very interesting uh, part of our conversation
0: with Alex, and we're also going to talk about gift annuities, and Alex says that, that interest is on the rise when it comes to charitable gift annuities, and I found that pretty interesting. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, you know, people love charitable gift annuities because not only do they get to make a gift to an organization that they support and that they love, they really enjoy receiving the benefit of that stream of income for the rest of their lives, Um, the rest of their life or the rest of another person's life. And a lot of single, older individuals love to do these and a lot of married individuals love to do these, particularly if they're on a fixed income.
0: And we talk a little bit in the interview with Alex that's coming up about the ages of some people who did gift annuities. And we were talking about some quite uh, senior people who were actually doing a
1: deferred gift annuity, a lady who was how old? Well, my example was 93. Um, I worked with a woman at a university uh, where I was employed as the director of gift planning, and she was a 93-year-old woman who wanted to do a five-year deferred gift annuity. And it's real interesting when a donor approaches you and they're suggesting that type of gift structure.
0: Right, so she was thinking, well, when I'm 98, I'm gonna defer this from age 93 to 98, and I'll get this stream of income at the age of 98. So that's a very uh, positive way to think in life, and there's sort of a joke in the gift planning world that if you want to live a really long time, that you should uh, do a gift annuity because you're guaranteed to live longer.
1: Gift planner, gift planners <laughs> like to promise at least a ten more year life extension on your <laughs> on your life if you do
0: a CGA. It's so interesting. So everyone stay tuned for our interview with our special guest, Alex Brovy of Northwell Health. And thanks for listening to Charitable Chit Chat with Kathy and Claire. Visit our website, charitablechitchat.com, where you can read original articles by us about plan giving and see our other special features like Ask Kathy and Creative with Claire. Because you know, Charitable Chit Chat is more than a podcast. We're your friends in plan giving. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. you're listening to Charitable Chit Chat with Kathy and Claire, visit our website, charitablechitchat.com, and look for our content on LinkedIn. Hi, welcome to Charitable Chit Chat with Kathy and Claire. I'm Claire Meyerhoff.
1: And I'm Kathy Sheffield.
0: And we are so happy to welcome our friend and now your friend, Alex Broby, Senior Director of Gift Planning, Northwell Health Foundation in New York.
1: Hey, Alex. Welcome to Charitable Chit Chat.
2: Hi, Kathy. Hi, Claire. It's so great to be here with you.
0: Alex, can you please tell us a little bit in general about your plan giving donors? Are they mostly from the New York area? Are they mainly grateful patients? Our charitable chit chat listeners would love to know more about the plan giving donors supporting Northwell Health
2: sure so where i work the northwell health foundation supports northwell health which is a large 23 hospital uh, healthcare system in the greater new york metropolitan area so as you can guess the vast majority of our donors and a particularly giving donors we work with are from new york some of them have moved to florida or have uh, winter places in Florida. We do have a couple people from New Jersey and Connecticut because they're captured within our service area. And for the most part, our donors are grateful patients, and particularly after this um, COVID-19 pandemic that we've recently been through. Where Northwell has been in the headlines for treating a huge number of people who've heard from this pandemic and, and its after effects. You no, know, we really do have a big uptick in grateful patient gifts this year. I would say the other area that uh, people seem to like to support, and I myself support, is our research function. We have a very big research function. And so if you're not supporting Northwell because you're grateful for care, you're supporting Northwell to try to come up with the next cure for a disease. Have you seen any trends
1: or changes in areas of support during this time? Uh, Would you say that your current and prospective plan giving donors are asking for particular areas to support
2: right now? So I think most plan giving donors tend to know what they want to support. Unlike major gift donors that might have a sum of money they want to give and they're looking for something interesting to fund, in my experience, our plan giving donors at Northwell have an idea of what it is they want to do. Of course, our jobs is to help them make the highest and best gift that they can. So I find that they come with all kinds of interests. Some through the grateful patient are just willing to give general unrestricted gifts, but those are a lot fewer these days. Over 21 years, I've watched those decline at four different institutions. So I would say that most people come in knowing that they want to support hospital that took care of them a doctor or an area where they or their family members suffered research to try to help find a cure to a disease that might have affected their families so i think people tend to come in veterans is probably one of the newer areas to support and many plan giving donors because they're of that age happen to be veterans so that's not too surprising i think um, mental and behavioral health has been has taken on a new level because of needs that were previously unrecognized, the veterans really helped bring that to the forefront with PTSD and other causes and issues. but it's sort of the secret thing that most donors in past years maybe didn't want to have their name associated with, and now you can have a sort of surprise by saying, we do want to help the whole person. I think one of the things that's a trend overall and I, and I know just a little bit about this um, is a little bit more about emphasis on the body, mind, and spirit so alternative medicines when you're talking about health care, but look, it everywhere from preschool to college now has meditation sessions and classes and things that focus on mental health and well-being. And we all know our country also needs to do a lot of healing for a variety of things, that, that things that are going on now and things that have been going on for years. And so all of this kind of mental behavioral health and things that make us feel better, um, I think are going to be important and that's not just for healthcare systems. That's for universities and, and other charities as well.
1: I love that that um, initiative, Alex. I will tell you that from my experience, having worked in healthcare, particularly in the larger systems, uh, mental health has always, behavioral health, mental health, the, the body, mind, the spirit, has always been a large initiative within those organizations. But the philanthropic attractiveness of those initiatives have not been present. I love hearing that there are natural segments in our population that are coming out to support those initiatives. And as you mentioned, veterans with PTSD, um, and hopefully, as we go about business uh, moving forward, that will become a more attractive um, op- opportunity for phil- philanthropists to be able to support. I love that. So, one of the things that we've noticed during this time is a, a significant interest or a significant surge in people wanting to learn more about how to do their estate plan and searching for estate plans online. Uh, Estate planning attorneys have, have said that they've been busy during this period of time. The majority of those, if charitable gifts are a component, will be in the form of bequests. Would you say that that's the trend that you're seeing in the philanthropy that you're being able to participate in at Northwell right now? or are there other areas of, of, or other vehicles, I should say, that, ins- that folks are interested in?
2: So I think, I think people, what, what we all seek right now in the greater picture is more control over our lives because we don't have a lot of control during this pandemic. So in things I've read and things I've seen with my own eyes, many of our donors, many across the country are seeking estate planning advice online from their attorneys, trying to find new attorneys. I did ask our estate planning committee members a couple of weeks ago, and they're all seeing an uptick. I tried to reach a couple of them over the weekend and they were all working on Sunday. And they said that's partially because they have to stretch out their work across all seven days, but partially because they were busier helping people with their estate plan. So the bequest is one of those true standbys that it it seems that especially when times are tough, bequests take on more importance. When the economy is going swellingly, no one pays much attention to the lowly bequest until they actually come in in the form of an estate gift. I think the IRA rollover was affected, obviously, a little bit this year by, by the recent tax laws that have passed. But overall, I think people have gotten used to making gifts from their IRAs. And if they realize they don't need the money and they plan to take a distribution, then I think that the, those gifts will continue with a little bit of a dip this year. You know, we, We've had three years in a row of growth. I was anticipating this would be year number four, but we all anticipated a lot of things for this year that may or may not come true, right? So you have seen a stall in QCDs so far this year? So they're coming in very slowly. Most of our QCD gifts did come in in the final quarter of the year. I think that's when the majority of people decide to take them early on and they just keep up with that. We have seen a, a more interest in our gift annuity program, and we actually um, had a donor who realized that his total annuity was taxable and that he didn't have to make, he didn't have to receive those anymore. So he made a gift of his, of his future income stream to us. So now he's not getting any more income and what he wanted to fund is going to be funded. So I would say people are being creative. I know one other thing I can mention, I know attorneys and people in the charitable area are suggesting with the rules about from retirement plans that testamentary gift annuities and testamentary charitable remainder trust might also find a place in dialogue. I haven't heard of any of those being done quite yet, but I think that that's going to come to pass. I totally agree with you on that. I believe that we'll see a surge in interest of that.
0: Alex, I'd be interested in knowing if that gift annuity donor you mentioned, did they come up with that idea or was that advisor advice or did it come about from an engagement with you or another development professional at Northwell?
2: If I if I had to guess on this particular donor who who was a member of our legacy society but who I wasn't particularly close to I would say that he's just smart enough to realize his annuity was fully taxable and Northwell needs the money to help us with all the covid needs even though his money's not going toward covid funding it's going to help us with something else that maybe wouldn't have gotten the attention or the money in this particular year so we have broached a couple of donors selectively over the years. I do think my colleagues who work at charities around the country can take a look at their list of gift annuities and really figure out who's in that period of time where the gift annuity is totally taxable and maybe call the donor and have a discussion. The, the better you know the donor, the easier it is to raise the issue. I did raise it with a donor who I know quite well and he was in favor. And I actually raised it before it came to the time when it was all taxable. I said, look, three years from now, this is all going to be taxable. So consider what you want to do in your planning. And he said, three years from now, I'll probably donate it back because I don't want the taxable income. And I want Northwell to be able to use it now while I'm living. So we ha- we can have some good dialogue around gift annuities for people who work at places that are fortunate enough to have a gift annuity.
0: Alex, would you say that donors in the 20 years or so that you've been doing this, are donors more educated about charitable giving than they have been in the past? Are they more strategic?
2: It's funny you ask that because my answer is both yes and no, which sounds like a typical attorney answer. So the yes is that donors have access to so much more. When they have a couple moments, they can Google something on their iPhone. You hope something that has a little more um, truth. To it or is done by a better source is what they what they first come up with when they read, rather than something more speculative. But also the the common thing that we know in gift planning is that people don't know what they don't know, and so even the most sophisticated business men and women, the mo- the most highest paid CEOs at companies, both large and small, might not even know that they can make a gift of appreciated stock and get a double benefit. So. I find we're going along two lines. We have the people who really will educate themselves and read everything and, and they want to know everything and they have really good advisors that help them. And the people who are kind of going in on their own and who may or may not know this or might not have time and they need someone to kind of say, did you know? That's a great way to start a conversation. Did you know?
0: Alex, our listeners would love to know, how did you get into the wonderful world of plan giving?
2: A little bit of a funny and poignant story. Uh, I decided at about seventh grade that I was going to become an attorney. And so I knew all through high school and through my undergraduate years at Penn State that I would be applying to law school. And I went to Georgetown. Uh, So I spent three years in D.C. And when I was at Georgetown, I realized what I really liked was estate planning. So I took every estate planning and tax class that they offered. And I ended up getting a job in a small firm. I went back to school to get a Master of Laws and LLM in estate planning, because I knew by now that's what I wanted to do. And then I started working in the field and I worked for three or four years. And there came a day when I paid off all of my law school debt. And it was substantial, but I was putting all my money toward paying off my debt. And the day after I paid off my debt, there was an announcement at a meeting from, it happened to be Penn State. and. They said we'd like to hire someone who would come onto our fundraising team travel around the country and visit with penn state alum alumni and talk to them about how to put penn state in their will and i took that ad home and i showed it to my husband and i said does this remind you of anyone who might be interested in doing something like this and i applied for the job and a couple months later i got it and that was really my transition from law where you have to track every hour of work and every project and every six minute increment to fundraising and specifically gift planning where I was free to help people instead of putting money into the partner's pockets I was helping people help themselves and help others at the same time and so gift planning is a win-win-win and and my story is not uncommon with people transitioning from law although people transition from every other area that there is but When you transition from law, you're already used to helping people. You're already used to asking questions that might seem a little intrusive because it's part of your job. So you don't really have a problem saying, by the way, can I have your date of birth? Or, you know, well, what is the value in your IRA right now? It's a little easier when you start off as an attorney to ask those questions. And so that was in 1999. And here we're sitting in 2020. And, uh, you know, in two years, I'll be celebrating 25 years doing this. I can't believe it.
0: So what advice would you have for a young attorney who is considering a transition from working in law to working for a nonprofit?
2: So my advice would be to talk to several people who are doing it and who have made the transition. Think about what they're doing now, what they love about it, what they don't love about it, and think about where they ultimately want to be and and what drives them. So for me, working for a charity is a no-brainer. I get paid a salary, yes, but all my efforts to help people are helping them and helping the charity and helping the recipients also when I when I started this I visited my career services offices at a variety of places that I've been even as an alum and I don't think becoming a fundraiser and especially a gift planner was on anyone's radar screen 20 years ago whereas now it is the other thing I would recommend to people is it who, who are thinking about it is that in just about in just about every I think in every state, And in many of the larger cities I know, there is a chapter of people who do gift planning. And to attend one of those chapters, look online, find out who the president or vice president is, reach out to them by email or by phone or by LinkedIn or whatever the newfangled ways are of reaching out. And just introduce yourself and say, could I talk to someone? We in gift planning are always happy to talk to other people. That's part of our nature. It's part of what drives us. And you can have a very fulfilling career. And we know people that have had fulfilling careers 20 years before us in this field. And I'm hoping I can help people who come down the pike for 20 years after I'm done in this
1: field. Alex, I've known you for almost 10 years. And one of the things you've always talked about was writing a book. And now you've written three books. Zen and the Art of Fundraising, Eight Pillars of Success. Zen and the Art of Fundraising, Eight More Pillars of Success. And then finally, Zen and the Art of Fundraising, The Pillars in Practice. I've read all three books. I've given them to my clients as gifts, and they're incredibly applicable to fundraisers, but they're also applicable just to the everyday person. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about the process that you went through and how you settled on
2: these pillars for your book? Sure. I'd be happy to. So you know, many, many people dream of writing a book. I don't know what it is. It's like you dream you're going to have a pony, you dream you're going to win a lottery, you dream you're going to write a book. And, you know, writing a book is not as easy as writing a letter or an email or even an essay um, or a 10 page paper for a class. Writing a book is a project and it's kind of like nurturing a child. You're kind of nurturing a child, you're bringing something new into the world. Even if your ideas are not brand new ideas, you're putting something together. And so I was on many different um, writing venues ventures as I was getting older I, I wrote poems for poetry I wrote a short story in fifth grade I was on my school's newsletters and newspapers and I even did a little stint on the in the daily Collegian at Penn State on that um, newspaper so when I decided to write a book I started with a couple of thoughts and I actually started with a note in my iPhone which you can do anywhere and then I decided I would make them each a page. And I was thinking maybe I could write a blog about each one of them. Um, and then I decided, you know, I actually have a couple more ideas. I think I could make 10 blogs. And then each blog could kind of turn into a chapter. And so a book kind of evolves. You don't sit down and suddenly write the book in your mind. You kind of My, my way of doing it was I kind of outlined what I wanted to do. And I built around a certain theme. And it's just a matter of using one of my pillars of success about being persistent and keeping at it, because you have to write this book unless you have the privilege of taking time off from the world, you have to figure out a way to write this book while you're living your, your real life. For aspiring writers, you know, did you ever write a blog? Try writing a blog. Um, check with your friends. You might be surprised who among them has written a book or a chapter in a book. Maybe you can start by writing a chapter in a book that's being done in, in a field that you care about. You can contribute to a chapter volunteer to uh, edit someone else's book. If you hear one of your friends or colleagues are writing a book, volunteer to read it for them and offer your thoughts because it can help you figure out how you can write your book. Your book is actually going to reflect you and your individual personality. So you don't have to fear by reading a bunch of other books. You're always going to parrot what you read. You're going to come up with your own thoughts. And it's just a matter of being persistent. In my first book, I had a hard time writing chapters eight and nine. It was already getting difficult to focus by that time, but I could see the end was near, and you just have to you know it's conditioning and it's making yourself follow through all good things that we need to do as fundraisers when we want to close a gift too, right? I'm thinking of actually writing a couple more books. I was thinking about embarking on a children's series that would be based off of the pillars that I used in my trilogy of books that I have and I'm probably gonna go down the path of trying to self-publish those and I will do it with the help of someone. I'm planning a a 16 book series because I have 16 pillars and they're gonna focus more on the pillars, the traits that I think are traits of a successful fundraiser and a successful person. I mentioned persistence and resilience, but things like patience and listening. So my my young adult series is gonna be about those pillars and there's gonna be one book that, that focuses on philanthropy. I think that that these pillars and these traits are really important. And even now at this time, when we're all sitting at home and we have extra time and we're trying to be a little more understanding of people around us and their situations and have increased tolerance, that these pillars help you be successful as a person, as a parent, as a member of society. If we all exhibited, if we all use the pillar of listening, a little bit more, and truly listen to what people were saying, rather than go in with our own agenda. I think we get rid eighty percent of society's problems.
0: Alex, what are your thoughts about young people and philanthropy, especially right now?
2: And you know, there are a lot of youngsters today that are helping, that are donating money in their piggy bank to help, for example, with COVID relief. Maybe others are helping with, you know, it starts maybe with a lemonade stand or by doing something at the car washes that the kids do. It makes me, back to those years when I was a Girl Scout and sold cookies, if, if you keep in mind the ultimate reason for doing it, it makes doing it that much more compelling. I agree. Fruitful and fulfilling. And then you want to share that lesson with others. So, so many youngsters these days from high school, college on down, that, did, that were stripped away of the last three months of their usual life and their usual school year have been doing all kinds of interesting things I could see all kinds of ideas coming out of this crisis.
0: Alex, do you have any final thoughts on careers in planned giving and philanthropy, maybe some advice for young people entering the field?
2: No, I would say, you know, an important thing that I write about, one of the pillars in my book is being a mentor. And so I would say for younger fundraisers, um, find a mentor if you don't have one. And uh, even if you can't get up the courage, which is another pillar to ask someone to be your mentor, Um, Shadow them. Find out what they do. uh, Follow them on social media and see what they're writing about. Read blogs in the area. The more widely you can read, the more people you know in the philanthropic world, the better that will make you as a fundraiser.
0: Alex, this has been a great conversation. We have learned so much from you. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure to speak with both of you. Thank you, Alex.
0: Our guest today was Alex Broby, Senior Director, Gift Planning, Northwell Health Foundation in New York. To learn more about Northwell Health Foundation, please visit give.northwell.edu and visit our website for more interviews and useful information from the wonderful world of planned giving. It's charitablechitchat.com.
1: We're Charitable Chitchat with Kathy and Claire, and we're more than a podcast. We're your friends in planned giving.
0: Thank you for listening to Charitable Chit Chat with Kathy and Claire. You can connect with Kathy Sheffield and Claire Meyerhoff on LinkedIn and learn more by visiting charitablechitchat.com.